We'd like to thank our sponsors, NoWatch, who are determined to help society connect back to the present moment. NoWatch is a smart jewelry wearable that measures and predicts stress one hour in advance, helping you restore balance and improve relaxation and sleep. With a collection of nine interchangeable gemstones to suit your daily mood and style. Through skin conductance, it knows what your cortisol levels are and where they're headed. With a subtle vibration, you're reminded to stay in the stress-free zone by taking a breath, going for a walk, doing yoga or meditation. The No Watch Kickstarter starts in November. These watches will sell fast, so you want to get yours today. And if you sign up on the website nowatch.com, N-O-W-A-T-C-H.com, you can get an early bird discount. Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's episode is about DMT, the spirit molecule, and on today's show, we'll be featuring our guest, Mitch Schultz. From an early age, Mitch's curiosity of the unknown universe forged his path in storytelling. With 20 years of creative experience as a transmedia producer, experienced designer, and educator, Schultz's work explores the inherent connections among consciousness, nature, culture, and the evolving human mythology. In 2009, Schultz decided to focus exclusively on his personal creative vision, and as a result, Mitch's first documentary, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, premiered two years later and became an instant cult classic. And he's now working on a new film about DMT, which will be released in a couple of years. So thanks so much for joining, Mitch. You bet. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Likewise, likewise. So Mitch, there's so many questions about DMT. And I would love to just kick it off and ask you, can you first describe what exactly is DMT for people who don't know and also where it can be found? Absolutely. Um, So DMT or dimethyltryptamine is, there are a couple different molecules. People refer to NNDMT and then also 5-MeO-DMT. Both are produced um, endogenously or naturally within our own bodies. I'm still not quite sure what that role is and why it's there. And then also kind of all over nature in many cases. Um, Both of those elements um, are very similar to, or those compounds are similar to serotonin. And I think that's how they became kind of discovered as we started to poke around the serotonin system. And so these two naturally occurring compounds are pumping through our human bodies right now and throughout nature. And for those that are unaware, it's probably, those are both probably the strongest psychoactive compounds uh, that we know about. And they cause very mystical states of being. So that's the long and short of it. And then it just goes on from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of follow-up questions. Um, Let's dive into that. Uh, What is the amount or dose that people need for DMT to create, uh, I guess, like some sort of experience that people talk about in the world of psychedelics? Like, is it just fluctuating for every single person? Um, or is there kind of like a standard amount that kind of pushes people into a different state? Cause you mentioned that DMT is naturally occurring in people. So mm-hmm. yeah. So what is, what does that dosage look like? 
Yeah, so I guess it can range, but the general um, kind of dosage for a vaporized experience or even a snuff of DMT is about uh, 0.5 milligrams. And for 5-MeO DMT, which is a little bit more of an intense experience, people uh, do considerably less, and I'd say that's kind of 0.4 max. Um, And the experiences themselves are very different between those two kind of unique molecules that are very closely related uh, the NNDMT experience that, that people commonly report um, is very fractal and kind of geometric. It, people talk about not being in what we call this physical reality. Um, it's very spiritual and can be kind of uh, given a lot of insights for people. And then the 5-MeO experience, a lot of people describe it much more as a kind of tapping in, if you will, to the entire information of the universe um, where things are kind of emanating in and out of you. Um, and a lot of people describe that as more like a um, a Godhead experience um, is the way a lot of people describe that. So one has a lot of bright colors and very what you would probably traditionally think of as psychedelic. And one is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like there's not a bunch of bright colors, but it's still very insightful and, and again, very mystical. And Mitch, which one of those is in ayahuasca? Because I think ayahuasca has also popularized DMT since it contains DMT, but I'm just actually super curious which one, which DMT is in ayahuasca. So mainly ayahuasca is known for the NNDMT experience. Um, And when they extract from certain plants, sometimes you will have 5-MeO DMT in there with the NNDMT. But mainly it's the NNDMT that people are familiar with with ayahuasca. Oh, interesting. And so I imagine with some plants, you know, picked in certain places with different shamans that they could have a very different experience, which is why I think a lot of people say that, you know, some experiences are just very different than others. Absolutely. And just imagine kind of that um, Amazonian, because that's where the ayahuasca is from, but that that's sort of kind of pharmacology and, and mixing all of these plants. And, you know, depending on what time of the year, which particular plant you're pulling it from, what your other admixtures are, um, there's a whole range of different experiences that can come out of that. It's almost like a radio dial where you can <laughs> turn your consciousness to different stations almost. Wow. So fascinating. So, Mitch, can you talk to us about what attracted you to this space? You know, why did you, why did you decide to create this film, and what was your own experience like when using psychedelics? Well, there. I guess the the short answer to that was uh, my personal DMT experience that I had back in two thousand and one, and. The experience was extremely profound and and life-changing. These are very short experiences, 5, 10, maybe 15 minutes. And again, you feel like you're almost transported out out of what you would call consensus reality. And there's just this huge cognitive dissonance of what just happened after you come back after 10 minutes. Um, People described experiencing entities or aliens or angels, um, again, transporting to other places that almost feel realer than this reality. Um, Insights uh, into yourself and the universe. And all of that kind of happened. And I also, at the same time, it was such a very quick experience. It also comes on fast. I also had a pure ego death um, or kind of lost sense of being human, if you will, is the kind of best way I can describe that. 
And and that's where a lot of transformation comes for people if they're on a guided trip and they're um, with people with the right intentions and guiding them through those experiences. They can be very profound and uh, and life changing. Um, and then there's also another side if um, those people aren't cared for and looked after and what people call set and setting. Um, it can also lead to a lot of things that we're kind of traditionally used to hearing about psychedelics of bad trips or not having a way to integrate what you just went through. So it uh, that's that's kind of what brought me to it was my own personal DMT experience. It was, again, within those 10, 15 minutes, everything changed for me. And it took me years to kind of, I think, rebuild the reality structure or paradigm that I felt comfortable with after an experience like that. And I was fascinated that nobody else was really, I mean, there were other people that have talked about it and, and reported things, but not many people at the time were really discussing it. And then I came across Dr. Strassman's research, who did um, human DMT research. It was some of the first psychedelic research in over a generation in the early 90s. And I just thought that was a great kind of the science and spirituality angle to, to tell the story of this very unusual molecule that brings very, very intense at times, but also very meaningful experiences to people. Yeah, I want to uh, thank you for that. And I, I wanted to dive into your relationship with Dr. Rick Strassman, who was so in instrumental really to the film. Um, yeah. How did you, like, how did you meet him and convince him to be a part of the film? Did you guys partner up together? Uh, yeah. What was that like? And I also, you know, after this question, I want to go back to DMT uh, versus an experience with ayahuasca because the time component is very different, how long you're you're actually in it. And I think a lot of people are just very curious about that. So, but first, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your relationship with um, Dr. Rick Strassman. Sure, sure. Um, so it was probably within a couple of years of that, my first experience that I came across Dr. Strassman's book called DMT, the spirit molecule. And this was his kind of, um, account of what his research was about and what it was like taking people through those experiences. And after I read the book, I knew immediately, like, this is, this is the approach. This is the way we can kind of tell this story. That's so unusual. I contacted Dr. Strassman probably around 2006, I guess, at that point. And we went back and forth for a year on how we would do this and how I'm setting it up and kind of getting to know each other. And then I think it was December of 2006, um, decided to go out to New Mexico where he's based and meet him in person. And then a month later, we started shooting our first round of interviews. And um, because Dr. Strassman had worked in this field for quite a while actually and kind of had his path even as a you know young man got into um into med school um he was instrumental in bringing in a lot of people um, the entire project and the you know making people that were part of the the original research comfortable with go, coming and telling their stories and and so we had the opportunity to interview 50 amazing, brilliant people uh, to put this documentary together. And uh, yeah, Dr. Strassman played a huge role in that. So awesome. And Mitch, the documentary, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I kind of heard through the internet, <laughs> so you can confirm whether this <laughs> is true or not, um, that the film has been viewed over 60 million times. Is that correct? 
I yeah, so we've tried to gather numbers and, and understand <laughs> this. Um, a lot of times the distribution agreements aren't set up to how we know, you know, if it's playing so much on a particular like Netflix or Amazon. Um, but yeah, some of our, our estimates um, for the amount of time we were there and which platforms it went on. Um, I think early on on Netflix, um, I think the first couple of weeks that film was viewed, uh, from what I understand from Netflix, uh, the, one of the top films viewed even over Hollywood films. So that was a little unusual, but people had a, a desire to come into this and understand it. Uh, there was a lot of people already into this world, but then there's a lot of trauma and stuff where people are coming to psychedelics as healing tools. And I think the time was right for it. And, um, it was fascinating to put together. It was like getting an entirely new degree in neuroscience and quantum physics <laughs> and psychedelia and consciousness all at once. Wow. Well, what was the kind of reaction from audiences when it first came out? I mean, were there popular questions after the film came out? Uh, like, what did you sort of hear from the market? Yeah, I... <sighs> Because the experiences are so transformational for those that have that have experienced those, whether that's ayahuasca or just pure DMT, um, they're so unusual, and you have this disconnect with how you understand everything. So I think more than anything, people are really drawn to the uh, research subjects in the film, and they're explaining their exper the experiences that they went through, and, and kind of looking back almost 15 years later, what those meant to them in their lives. And I think a lot of it focused around that because, again, they are very spiritual and, and mystical and trying to put that into a context in our day-to-day -day lives um, is challenging to put words to. And also a lot of times when you have or start having these discussions with people, uh, they tend to look at you a little off and start talking about entities and aliens and this and that. <laughs> uh, there's there's some pause and understandably, um, but it. Um, it was really kind of a, it coalesced people to kind of be able to come in and like almost come out of the closet about their experiences in psychedelics in general, uh, which I thought was amazing. And, and a lot of people told me uh, that they felt like they could share the film with their, with their parents or their family members or, or colleagues, um, which I also thought was a really nice compliment and that people felt comfortable sharing it. And I think a lot of that was due to the interviewees. We had some very, eloquent, brilliant people explaining this. This wasn't just about Woodstock in the 60s and <laughs> kind of getting off the rails with LSD. It was really kind of a focused approach on what's happening, what do these experiences mean, and, and what does it mean that this molecule is so simple but lives within us and is part of our kind of dissemination of the universe. Wow. You know, Mitch, I, I sort of am thinking back to you know, the, the kind of U.S. history of the perspective of drugs and just yes. lumping all sorts of drugs into one bucket, right? Like there's the war on drugs, right? And so anyone, you know, who's doing psychedelics to all, you know, these like different types of drugs like cocaine here when they were, everyone was being lumped together. And it's so interesting because psychedelics seem so different to me than the others. You know, my, I think it was Michael Pollan, and I'm paraphrasing, so don't don't quote me on this. Okay. But I think someone had said to him, you know, can you can you you know do mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, you know, at a party or something? And he said you wouldn't want to, like something along those lines, where it's like it's just not something you would want to do in that in that setting because it is actually so. There's such a profound shift that happens, and it 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 kind of takes you outside of yourself, right? And in such a profound, deep 
way that you wouldn't want to like party with it. It's also just so tough, right? To, to metabolize what's, what you're experiencing sometimes for people. So it was just, it was just sort of an interesting concept. And I, so I'm curious, cause you've been in this space, I think, you know, super long compared to a lot of, there's been a lot of people now, um, even in a lot of States making psychedelics legal. Uh, but you, you've been in this for the long haul. So I'm super curious, you know, what has changed so drastically in the last 10 years since Great you started question. working in the uh, space? Yeah. Well, and you know, to your previous point there about, I, I started using psychedelics when I was young, but a lot of that was very frivolous and it was at, r- irresponsible in many ways and going to parties and things like that. And, um, but at the same time I had some experiences within that, that I knew that there was something more so that kind of guided me, I think in some ways to this, um, it's, it is an important thing, though, because to really get the benefits and, and what people are talking about, these profound effects, you, you don't need to be around um, a party situation or someplace that's not controlled because things can shift in your understanding of reality in those states is is uh, is altered. And then other people. So we got to be careful of that. I, one of the big things I love to talk about and put out there, and I'm glad you brought it up, is is this kind of idea of set and setting and and being able to be with, you know, peaceful with yourself, but also safe with the people that you're with going through those experiences. Um, and as far as how that's really changed over the last decade and, and how that's played a role, you know, I think the psychedelic um, kind of research and law changes that are going on took the idea from from the marijuana legalization of like let's treat this as a medical thing um so mental health has been the you know first and foremost how do we because there's a lot between psilocybin as well as mdma particularly um kind of switching off the dmt front those have some big impacts on trauma and so i think there's so much of that trauma in many different layers of our society and traditional psychology and psychotherapy hasn't quite done it. Um, and our pharmaceuticals are just kind of masking things up. Psychedelics get to the root of it and people are having success with healing some major, major things and being able to live kind of regular lives, if you will. Um, and I think that's the big change, um, that that part is coming out and that that's why even the FDA and DEA here in the United States, by next year, we'll have MDMA probably out for people to take with a therapist. Um, oh, it's wow. good to see because we we really there's so many layers of the trauma um, and different cultural parts of that and um, they're personal and family and societal and we just kind of keep moving forward. But over time, that compounding trauma needs to to be worked out um, to be able to kind of push to the next hopefully stage of humanity. I believe. Wow, and you know I'm also curious because I think that. Um, for some people, there's also a desire to use psychedelics to not not integrate, right? There's just like a desire to kind of escape. Um, right. You know, how do you, how, like in your mind, how are you reconciling that for people that are using it to escape? Like, I'm just curious yeah. because I, I think it's been interesting just anecdotally, I can, you know, share that. I've noticed that some people are very curious, very open, and then others seem to almost like be addicted, even though psychedelics are not naturally addictive substances from what I understand. Um, but there does seem to be like a desire to, to, to go into like some greater, you know, intelligence, 
um, you know, as, and, and, and then come back into being human. And so I think, you know, maybe we could talk about the integration piece and why that's so important and how much time, you know, many people take in between doing one of these, uh, sittings. Right. Right. Um, great question again. Um, you know, I think it's a part of our hardwiring as humans. We, we like to alter our consciousness and there throughout our history, we've heard mystics and prophets and religious people being able to explain what I think these experiences are under psychedelics are very similar to mystical experiences or they can be interchangeable. And I think that's part of our wiring and development. So I think that um, there's going to be kind of layers and complexities with how people approach this. People can have a big experience and they're going to say, oh my gosh, I need to go back and have that again because it was so amazing. Um, But being able to kind of boil down as best you can. What was it? What's the message? What was the meaning that, that I took from that, whatever that experience was? Um, and how is that going to make me a different person in the world? How am I going to be a better person? Um, how am I going to help others? How am I going to see myself in a much broader perspective? And the integration part um, is huge, again, because when you've not gone through these states, particularly these larger more psychedelic states, um, to be able to kind of come back and put those puzzle pieces back into an arrangement that makes sense. If uh, I can work with that analogy, it's, it's the, um, it also changes how we go about wanting to like chase the tail, so to speak too, or why, you know, I forget who said this, I'm paraphrasing, uh, but it was like, once you, get the message on the phone, it's time to hang up. Um, so you don't feel like you have to go chase it and you don't need to do it again and again. Um, but it becomes kind of a lens for seeing the rest of your life, not just within the experience. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's hard sometimes because of these experiences. And I think particularly DMT has such profound effects and people just want to share this. It becomes almost this zealous I got to tell you what happened. <laughs> and sometimes that is really overwhelming. And again, depending on who your audience or you're communi- communicating with, um, that can be perceived a lot of different ways. And, and I think that's also part of the understanding and that how you exchange that information. Like, how are you explaining this to other people? And are you being aware of their cultural biases and their information as you're trying to communicate this and, you know, hopefully not make them uncomfortable, but also find common ground, which we, we all need so bad in this, in this world right now. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. So it's, yeah. And I guess the bigger message that I think a lot of people get is this kind of sense of oneness. Um, and I don't mean that to sound too new agey, but we have had this idea of unity consciousness or God or, even the universe, um, but people tap into that, and um, the messages live differently in many ways. Mm, yeah, and I'm, I'm actually curious. Like, what are some stories that you've heard of people who have done DMT, ayahuasca, and have profoundly changed their lives? I mean, can you share a, a story or two, maybe, in your network? Well, and I, I I'll just speak from personal experience. I, I like to just start there. It's yeah. um, for me. I don't want this to sound like I'm overselling it, but I I don't think I would be here on this planet right now if it wasn't for psychedelics. Um, I've had a lifetime of different traumas as we all have, but some that sent me down some, some very tough paths and uh, challenges, but I have 
learned, I think, through these experiences, how some of these things tied into my behavior and my thought processes and um, even that desire to, to, to live and to move forward and help others. Um, so what's kind of specifics, we could get into that, but I think in general, it's, you know, my view of all of this starts to become just hopefully broader and broader and, you know, nothing is separate. We are constantly not only interacting with each other, but our entire surroundings, other animals, plants, inanimate objects, um, different energies and things moving through us that we just move around completely unaware of and getting a broader sense of how those things are interacting and, and being aware of that kind of cosmic dance um, makes life a little more or a lot more livable and exciting. And, and even during these times that are so chaotic and change, it's like, how can, what are we doing in our, in our lives and, and understanding to make that difference instead of just looking out and saying it's this person or that group or that government or this technology. Um, and it, it, um, it just changes the relationship with yourself and ultimately the entire universe. Mm, I love that. I love the message of, you know, the unity consciousness, we are one. And I think that, you know, people have said that for millennia, but I think very few people have actually experienced it, you know, the the state of oneness in their lifetime. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm sort of, you know, just double clicking. What is your perspective on kind of like the movement of consciousness, like the idea of like why we're here and also what you've learned, you know, in, in your journey um, on the psychedelic path, but also beyond that, because it seems like you've got a lot of complexity, um, you know, and I say that in a good way, a lot of depth and com complexity to your character. So it you seems do. like you have a, a lot of perspective. So yeah, I'm just curious, you know, where, where does your mind go in terms of what has surprised you the most or what has been most important to you personally? And how are you living that out? Yeah. Um, I think a lot for me and I, it, with the sequel of the spirit molecule, this new film is called the conscious molecule. And, and really the story, um, that I want to kind of embed in that is, is this idea of unity, uh, unit of consciousness and more and more disciplines that are from neuroscience to, to quantum mechanics and any range of different aspects um, of how we understand the universe are starting to point in a direction that potentially everything is conscious. Um, and it, I don't mean that to be the same consciousness that we might understand about ourselves, but even a positive negative charge and how that might react, that physical matter to something next to it or it comes into interaction with. Um, so being able to start helping people grasp the story that there was this huge big bang, let's look at it, if that's what we're going to take as our understanding right now <laughs> for this universe. And then very quickly moves, goes from simple molecules all the way out into what we are now and, and continues to grow in that complexity. Um, and trying to understand that, um, again, we, we tend to kind of look at the the world of consciousness through our own lens, which we perceive everything through, which is also kind of an ironic twist of all of this. And so why not try to understand that more? We still don't know as, you know, science can't quite put a finger on what it is to experience a flavor of something or a smell or a pain and how that all registers and comes together into what we call reality. Um, and so I want to kind of, and I, 
I guess with that story, I feel like the, the world in many ways, human culture, we've all had our mythologies and how things go together, but now we're smashed together and there's a lot of tension and heat, almost like these huge clouds of dust from the universe that needs to be dissipated. And we need a new story or a new way to kind of trans, transmute that information in a different way. And so that's where I'm kind of feeling that that drive and what I've kind of learned of not just the psychedelic and big experiences, but how that might tie in from our understanding of the entire cosmos to our spirituality and how we're moving forward day to day. Oh, that's so profound. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because I think that what it feels like, at least in the West and, you know, I think in general, is that we're moving into these um, polarities rather than living in paradox. We're like, yes, both things can be true. Like this person can be this and they can also be this, you know? And I think, um, I think that what, it's what I feel like you're saying too, is that we're, we're trying to kind of move in these directions that are, I don't think true and not, not helping us uh, move forward as a society and as a species and as like a microcosm, you know, of, uh, of something greater. So, um, Paradox, you nailed it. I think we have to be more comfortable with paradox in the future. Yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Mitch, I wanted to, so we've been talking about uh, consciousness, but I actually want to take it back to ayahuasca and DMT uh, because I, I think a common question that comes up a lot is like, how is just taking straight DMT different than taking ayahuasca? You know, because I think we talked about this or I brought it up a couple questions ago, but I'd like to uh, dial in to the answer. So, you know, what is the time component and what was your experience doing ayahuasca versus DMT? Okay. All right. Um, so I'll start with just DMT. Um, most people talk about when they vaporize DMT or it's even used as a snuff. But that is about a 5 to 15, 20-minute experience. Um, and so it's just pure DMT that uh, you have to get into your body a certain amount to have this experience. Um, I'd mentioned earlier with ayahuasca that when they extract the DMT from the plant, they're also using the ayahuasca vine, which has an MAOI or a malinhibitor uh, that allows your stomach and your body not to break down the DMT that it's getting through this plant. And that stretches out the, that experience um, in a much more, probably three up to six hours, if you depending on how much you're drinking. So it becomes more of like a, a living dream, if, if you will, with ayahuasca, where the short, really tight information of the, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes of pure DMT can feel like a complete information overload. Um, a lot of people come back and can't even remember because it was just like, oh my gosh, what was that? <laughs> um, and I think with ayahuasca stretching it out and, you know, being led by song and, and potentially a shaman or a caretaker, um, that you also have some time to kind of develop a story during the experience, but also it's easier to do after the experience for the next day or, or weeks or months to come. Um, so a lot of people I think are more drawn to that, um, I say natural, but it's all natural um, to the natural experience of ayahuasca where you're, you know, it's a plant medicine, if you will, as opposed to kind of an extracted pure DMT form. Um, so, yeah, there's it is a kind of a huge range. And I, I like to look at it a lot of times of, you know, it's an information field that we're almost tuning into. And with the DMT, it is being like inside of a super universal computer and you're getting all the information at once. And then with the 
the ayahuasca experience, you get to kind of slow down and pause at moments and uh, work with it a little bit. Um, and it's also a very physical experience more so I think ayahuasca is than um, just pure DMT, which is much more of just kind of a mind or um, out of out of body, if you will. So you don't, you don't throw up <laughs> on DMT, just ayahuasca. No, and that's the big part. The ayahuasca is really the thing that is kind of a cleanser as well for your body. So that's the thing that makes you purge. Mm. So interesting. Wow. And uh, is there a diet for both like that you have to adhere to before? Because I remember in ayahuasca there was. Yes. With ayahuasca, a lot of people um, go through with it, the, do a dieta and that ranges. But for the most part, you try to cut out red meats, um, don't want a lot of salt or sugars or, or spices, um, mainly plant-based. And, you know, two weeks prior to that, some of that is um, kind of a, a worldview. Some of it has some more medical aspects to it. You don't want too much of certain chemicals in your body when you get this rush of DMT and ayahuasca into your body. Um, with the most of the people that are experiencing just the vaporized versions of these, they, they're usually not doing a dieta beforehand. Um, again, it's mainly just kind of a big rush and experience to the mind as opposed to the body. And I think a lot of the body stuff is having that diet and just awareness of what you're taking in and um, being aware that's almost the meditative aspect leading up to the experience, um, kind of getting you into the right mind and, and asking the right questions, if you will. So... Uh, Mitch, can you take too much uh, DMT? And you know, are there any dangers? I, I sort of uh, vaguely remember you talking about people that uh, maybe this was in another conversation, but people that shouldn't be taking it if they have any kind of psychosis or kind of severe mental health uh, stuff going on. But yeah, I'm yeah. just curious. Like, have you heard of like the sort of shadow side or like the extreme dangers other than it being like a really bad trip? <laughs> yeah, I don't. <sighs> With NNDMT, you're not going to take too much to where you would overdose. I guess the overdose would almost just be, it's just a big experience. You come back and it probably will forget most of it. 5-MeO is a little different because it has a um, stronger experience kind of on the heart and the physical and physiology of the body. Um, so people like to be very careful about no heart conditions, things like that. Um, and then I think a general rule of thumb that after, what, 50 years of kind of understanding psychedelics at least a little bit, um, people that have either history of their own psychosis or even within the family, um, this could be schizophrenia or other you know, large uh, psychiatric mental health issues that you try to stay away because it can trigger people to go into, into kind of um, non-ordinary states, but then kind of build up a, a wall or kind of intensify the ego in some ways and um, and even slip, have breaks in, in this reality. So trying to stay away from those that have had that history in their in their own life or even even in the family, it's um, what a lot of people are kind of leaning towards. You know? Sure, we all have different traumas, but um, you don't, don't want to put people in bad situations or scary situations. That's the other thing I think that's been a big part of the, the new movement of psychedelics is it's not the frivolous party. Everybody doses and runs around naked. It's, <laughs> it's more about the, the care and, and, and guiding. And that's helping this, the whole thing as well, because there's a lot to gain there. So, um, and with ayahuasca, you know, you can take, 
a lot and have a big experience. And many times I think that even those outlandish experiences or intense experiences can turn into good insights once you're back in, um, you're not in the experience. Um, a lot of times they, they kind of help reveal sides of us that we weren't even aware of that kind of underlying kind of emotional stuff. Um, so you, you know, you're not going to die from doing this. Um, if anything, you just get too much in you and you kind of may lose track of time, but as long as you're with somebody safe, it'll be able to walk you through that. And most people that are also leading these experiences, um, if they're worth their, their title of shaman or caretaker, um, they're going to be aware and not give too much medicine. You know, it's always better to give mm. not enough. And then if they need to bump it up, you can do that in smaller doses. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I remember uh, someone once saying when they took too much, the reaction they had was, uh, now I know what's possible, which I just right. love. <laughs> now I know, you know, now I know what, what actually exists beyond our, our reality. And um, another person said, oh, I met my maker, <laughs> which I just, I love those responses <laughs> because. Well, ayahuasca is interesting too. It A lot of people talk about it and the experience of the plant as a, as a feminine kind of energy. And a lot of people say she knows exactly what I need. And that could be through the amount of dosage or what you need to go experience and um, what might come up in the experience. And, and to give it, it almost has this intelligence uh, that's working with you, which I also find very fascinating. Yeah, that's right. And you also worked on a film specifically about ayahuasca, correct? Correct. Yeah. And we went down to Peru and there were kind of a myself and colleagues and friends, about 10 of us that went through the experience over a week, week and a half and, and shared our thoughts and what happened to us. And it was more of an experiential um, film than it was, you know, the kind of National Geographic approach to what ayahuasca is and all that kind of stuff. Right. And this might be a non sequitur, but I know some people <laughs> have asked, um, you know, the Kundalini snake, uh, for those of you who don't know what Kundalini snake is, you can Google it. There's a lot of information on it, but like they talk about that also being part of the ayahuasca experience. And I'm just curious if, if you have anything to say about that, cause I haven't found anyone that can explain it yet. Yeah, I think, you know, well, the, the, the kundalini and that yoga kind of energetic flow through our bodies, um, I think, can be perceived as a snake because I think it's morphing through us like that. And when you're on, I mean, ayahuasca is a great one and, and other psychedelics, you can really tune into feeling that energy and a lot of times almost seeing it move through your body. Um, in the kind of shamanic South American ayahuasca world, um, they, they talk about that. And a lot of cultures around the world, for that matter, talk about the snake, this kind of eternal, it's like that in-between water and physical land and elements. And it, the way it moves, I think, is a good correlation to how you know our nervous system is taking in information from the environment. Um, I've experienced snakes under the experience or under the influence of ayahuasca. You know, sometimes I'm wondering, like, is that part of, because I'm in the Amazon and there's, these large snakes, or is that part of the human consciousness that's tapping into the Akashic records, if you will? Um, is it a play of all that? Is it the drug? Is it the... Um, and, and that's what drives me and fascinates me, is that we don't know. <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> yeah. it has some very interesting impacts on us. And, um, you know, I guess a big way I'm understanding it is a 
kind of a technology lens these days, it's it's almost uh, feels like you're defragging your hard drive um, of consciousness. You know, your brain gets kind of cleaned up and you feel lighter and a little more aware and um, so it's, it's kind of like a tune-up for, for your car, um, but we get to do it with our consciousness and our soul and however you want to mm. understand our being. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that analogy so much. <laughs> Mitch, I want to talk about your new film. So this comes out uh, roughly 2022 or so or later. And why did you decide to do this film. So your last film, just for the audience, was called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, which you can find almost everywhere. And then this new film is called DMT, The Consciousness Molecule. And so what is going to be kind of different about this? And why did you decide to do another film on DMT? Well, I'll give a little bit of that credit to my my producer. He contacted me back in the pandemic. He was like, you know, it's been a decade since DMT came out. Maybe it's time to do a follow-up. Um, there's so much that's changed over the last decade and um, from new research and more and more people kind of having these experiences and then the possibility of legalization in some cases. So that also tied in, you know, over the last decade, I've changed a lot of my views on what consciousness is and how I understand my experiences, psychedelic and otherwise. And so it's like, how do I kind of pull all this in where we can, we don't have to go back and rehash everything that we did in the first film, which really focused on Dr. Strassman's work specifically, but then also kind of what is this molecule? Um, I think this next one is really trying to piece together every scale of the universe um, from the beginning to molecular to human consciousness and beyond um, is kind of where I want this to go. And, and I want it to be an experience too, not just trying to tell the story. Um, I want people to kind of go in and just lose themselves in this and, and open up to new possibilities of what all this is. Um, Cause there's a lot of new information and insights coming through our technological development that um, is going to drastically change this planet in the next 10, 20, 30 years, I think. Um, and a lot of that's just, I think psychedelics, and I'm not the first one to say this, is similar to like the discovery of the microscope or the telescope. We get new views of, of our reality. Um, it gives us new models and new ways of looking at things. Um, and that's what I think it's doing for us uh, in kind of our conscious evolution on this planet. Mm, wow. I love that. I cannot wait to see this film. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can't eat. I really... We're really, uh, our goal is to hopefully get it out by the end of 2022, but it'll probably be early 2023. Um, at the same time, this is a, it's a huge undertaking and we're starting to kind of build that community up again. And also the interaction, we really want to share kind of our creative process uh, with our community and the rest of the world. Um, so it's not a two years of silence and then you finally see it, but you know, we're going to share articles and what we're researching and the visual effects we're putting together. And so really kind of getting that information explode with our community and new audience members to, to kind of start that conversation now. Mm, yeah. Wow. Why we're here today. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love, I mean, community building just takes a long time and I think that's very smart because <laughs> I think a lot of times, you know, people just debut something and then there's this yeah. whole community angle that hasn't been built. And so, yeah, well done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they put it for me since the first film, you know, 2007 and it does take 
uh, it's a long thing, but it's an ongoing thing. You know, there's new aspects to it and new ways, not just with the technology, but even the messaging and how we're, how people are understanding differently than they did 10 years ago. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it seems like it, I think Tim Ferriss said this on one of his podcasts, but it's like, it seems like everyone in LA and San Francisco at every party is like, oh, let me tell you about my ayahuasca or DMT <laughs> <Absolutely>. experience. <laughs> so yes. like, no, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> um, but so Mitch, what has surprised you the most since you've been on this journey? And also how has your perception changed uh, or has, or maybe it hasn't changed in the last year since the, the start of COVID and the pandemic? Mm, yeah. Um, how it's changed in the last year, I'm, I've tried more and more, and I think this is part of my overall journey in life, but even over, you know, since the pandemic and understanding all of this, um, we are in, again, this constant evolutionary flow. And the more that we can understand that change is constantly going to happen and the more we flexible we can be with that change, I think the better off we will be. So I, I try to do that. It's not easy. We have daily life things that come up and it gets us frustrated or mad. But um, all of this is pushing towards something I think that's much bigger than us. Um, and I try to just keep that in mind as much as I possibly can. Um, and what was the first question? Now I jumped right to the first, second one there. I think it was like, what sort of things have surprised you on this journey? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm always being surprised too. I guess that's the best part about it. I feel <laughs> like um, I try not to get comfortable. Maybe that's mm, the best way I to love put that. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, because whenever I get comfortable, then I get blindsided with something, a life <laughs> event and, or whatever. And, and the more I'm just kind of like, all right, well, it is what it is. Um, it, it seems to flow a little better. Um, and I'm constantly, I think even, you know, as my experiential kind of self-development with psychedelics and then outside of that, um, there's always going to be something weirder and different and new, um, which I think is part of that underlying fabric of the universe. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, cause you've also got so many layers, you know, you're an artist, you're a creator, you have a lot of different, uh, businesses. So I'm, I'm just, you know, curious how all those things have intersected for you in your career. Like, how are you, do they, do they kind of help each other or do you see them as separate? Yeah, they, um, they're starting to more and more dovetail, um, which I think is very fascinating, particularly at this time, um, with the stories we're starting to tell and the technology we're using and all the crazy things I love to go research and talk about. Um, and, and yeah, they're dovetailing, I think kind of for the first time in my life, um, in some cases, and it's, it's really nice. I think a lot of times I have such a general kind of, I want to look at everything approach that can, um, cause you not to get a lot of things done sometimes or, you know, you, you can't quite be as efficient. So these days it's, um, you know, we kind of have this general s story and framework and people that we're working with, but then everything just kind of keeps falling in. Um, and it's kind of just happening naturally, which is, I feel like kind of the best way for that to happen. Um, yeah. Mm, I love that. So, um, Mitch, what are some books that have inspired you on this path? Minus DMT, The Spirit Molecule by Dr. Rick. <laughs> I, don't. I can't take that one, huh? Shoot. Or you can. You get. You can. <laughs> I, well, that would definitely be one of them. Um, let's see a couple different options here. So 
Ray Kurzweil's early book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, I think was the title of it, was an amazing kind of eye-opener for me. And that was where I, you know, him really kind of looking at what's happening with AI, robotics, um, and what that evolutionary tract might be. So that really changed things for me back in the you know, late 90s, I think. Um, have you read that one before? Or are you I, familiar I, with I am, yeah, I'm familiar or, with Ray Kurzweil. I've not read that book, but um, have heard a lot about his work and his philosophy. So, yeah. I guess another one of his the the book book that I think a lot of people know is Singularity and his yeah. kind of belief where <laughs> we're going and this merging and mm-hmm. that I would totally disagree with Ray Kurzweil on. I think that we're already in a singularity and we're not going towards it. I think we are, we we are in it. Um, but I still love, you know, those books that I don't agree with. It makes me think of it. And how do I explain that? Um, <laughs> one of my favorite fiction books, and this is a weird one and not everyone knows it, but it's called Geek Love. And it's by a woman oh. named Catherine Dodd. And it's an amazing piece of fiction about a family that owns a traveling carnival. And they're kind of falling on hard times. And the mother and the father come up with these ideas of t- to have um, – this was back in the 20s, I guess, or something about having altered children so they can have their freak show as part of their circus. <laughs> and it sounds outlandish, but it's one of the most kind of compelling stories of family and how we interact and the power struggles and the love and the not. And um, and it was such a weird context for it, but it worked so uh, and beautifully written. So I, I always love to throw in that that book as well, which is totally off from what I normally do. It was a beautiful book as well. I love that. You know, I I can't remember who said this now, but uh, someone said, you know, if you want to understand humanity, don't read nonfiction books, read fiction, (laughs) read fairy tales. Um, Yes. Yes. Because that's, you know, it's like all of our maybe unspoken truths uh, of all the things we don't feel like we can say in our professional life. Like, and it's, it's like our private life revealed, but as fiction stories, you know? And so sci-fi does it. I love, I'm a sci-fi fan and that has some interesting probes into kind of the human psyche, if you will, and where we could be going. And yeah. 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 So fiction is a good way for that to unfold. Really. <laughs> a glimpse. I love that. Amazing. So geek love. And uh, I will look that up as soon as I'm done. Um, So Mitch, sadly, we're out of time, uh, but this has been such an enlightening conversation. I think so many people have so many questions about DMT, ayahuasca, what it's like to integrate, what the set and setting is like, all about your new film as well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, 60 million people plus are viewing it. There's (laughs) definitely a demand and an audience for this. And so, yeah, I just applaud you for your work. I'm excited for the next film and uh, really, really grateful for your time. You're super inspirational for a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I, I'm glad to be here and I love sharing this information. It's a fascinating area of um, research. So I will definitely keep you posted on when things are starting to go and um, maybe come back sometime if you have Yes. Yes. We love that. We love that. Um, and where can people find you? Where are some resources that you can point folks to? Sure. Um, my personal site that has a lot of the different projects on it, MitchSchultz.net. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Um, DMT, 
tsm.com is the spirit molecule site. And the other couple of DMT sites, the new film is dmt-tcm.com. And then we have dmt-nft.com, which we're starting to put out um, some of our collectibles and artwork on that on that site. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Awesome. So for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about the power of DMT, the spirit molecule with Mitch Schultz. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.